Welcome to the Pet Loss Companion. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Nancy Sexton Lopez. And this is an opportunity for us to share some of the learning that we gathered from all the people who attended our pet loss groups, which we did for, Nancy did for like 25 years. and 30. 30 years. And I did for about 12 years. And we together put together a book called The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups. And we see this broadcast as a way of bringing that wisdom from those people who shared with us to you and to a much broader audience, because we know that many people really are having a hard time when their pet dies. There's often not a lot of support. We're not a society that deals well with grief in general, and we're not a society that even respects the loss of a beloved animal companion. Way too frequently, that's the case. So we encourage you to send us your questions, your comments before, during, after the program, and we'll integrate those into our conversation. So Nancy, you want to get us started? For yeah, tonight? I think we're going to talk a little bit tonight about types of grief, and the first is going to be anticipatory. Right. Um, we did get a question, um, the question or a, a little paragraph. I know that my cat is terminally ill. She has her good days and bad days. The situation makes me so anxious. I can't sleep well, and I watch her like a hawk. I'm exhausted. I know that the time will come, but I'm not sure how long and how I will know and get through this process. Yes, so anticipatory grief is the grief that we experience when we have an impending loss. Mm -hmm. It's not that the loss has happened, it's the understanding that it's gonna happen before too long and it happens when we have this kind of a situation where we know our pet is terminally ill, it happens when we know a human being is yes. terminally ill. One of the things that, one of the scenarios that comes to mind immediately is when we have a loved one who has a form of dementia, they have Alzheimer's, yeah. we know that they're, they're, we're gonna be losing them mm -hmm. little, by, little by little over time. But when it comes to our pet, it's also, one, of, one other way you might think about it is it's the understanding that the future that we'll share is not expansive. The future that we're going to share is now shorter than we would have imagined. And so oftentimes people will have this almost like this obsessive focus on it. It's hard not to when you first get the news, right? It's hard not to feel that way when you know that the time is limited. And then over time, like with this person who wrote this question, what I'm thinking is you need to allow yourself, and it, and it, is, a, it is a challenge and it takes some time to grow comfortable with that uncertainty. And the way that I would think about it is, yeah, you are going to be thinking about your friend and their illness, and you are going to be waking up and wondering if they're still with you. And over time, that will become more bearable, more bearable. And do all the things that you need to do to, 
to take care of yourself during this time. And you're, you're not, you're not losing your mind. You're not overreacting. You're doing what a good pet guardian does. You're paying attention. You're watching for changes. You're in close collaboration with your pet's veterinarian. You're probably going to be seeing them a lot more frequently than you were before this, this arose. And so that's what this time calls for. Yeah, it's really important to take little breaks, you know, because it's just too much um, to watch this process. And sometimes that process takes a while. Um, and Quite a while. It can take it years. Be, it could, yes, it could, it could take years. Um, Ken will talk about that. Um, so, and, and of course, there's, you know, the, the typical feelings that come up, uh, you know, one is fear besides the anxiety. The anxiety is really tough because sure. when, it, when is it going to happen? How is she? Or what, you know, what do I do? Um, but then you have the fear of, of being without your animal. Yeah. Um, there could be physical problems, some guilt. What am I doing enough? I don't think I'm doing enough. What do I do? Um, the obviously the concern for the animal who's dying, how is, how does she feel? You know, how do I know? Um, some irritability and anger at times because it's just so much to take on. Um, the, the anticipation of loneliness, um, sad, obviously, and sadness and tearfulness. But the other two interesting ones were, or another interesting one was rehearsal of the death, which yeah. I thought was yeah. Yeah. interesting. Um, and so, you know, do you, do you want to talk about Isabel first? Sure, sure. So, so I may have mentioned this before. So we have two chihuahuas, Isabel and Abigail, and both of them are, 15 and a half years old, they'll be, they'll be 16. Isabel will be 16 on June 20th and Abigail will be 16 on June 5th. And Isabel has had, well, let me, let me make sure I say this correctly. She's been at the edge of congestive heart failure for years, for approximately four years. And when she was first diagnosed, we were told that we would have her for maybe two years more. And it, so she's had regular evaluations of many kinds. So she gets ultrasounds periodically every six months or so. She's on five different medications. So she takes two medications by mouth every mealtime. We feed them twice a day. And she takes three medications that are pills that we chop up and put in her food. And those are just our rituals for, for caring for her. Now, really wonderfully, she's, she isn't in congestive heart That's great. <laughs> she chugs along. And, and so, it, I mean, we're very fortunate in that way. But when you mention rehearsal and anticipation, most days when I come downstairs, I tend to be the first one downstairs. My husband tends to take a little bit longer to come, come down. So I tend to come downstairs. And I'm very frequently wondering She's if Isabella is still going to be alive. Right. And it's just part of what 
the experience is with caring for a family member who is this fragile. And so, of course, to date, I come down and she's she's awake and alert, and you know they're quite active still. When it's especially when it's feeding time, that's right. <laughs> they sleep a lot otherwise, and and I can tell you that another thing that that is a little strange we're noticing, and they both have their eyesight and they both have their hearing to some extent, but they're tiny. They're five and a half pound little dogs and they don't have the they don't have the perceptual field that they used to have. And so with Chihuahuas, people who are listening who have Chihuahuas will know this, you kind of have to do the Chihuahua shuffle. That's right. In your, in your house. Like you just you and you have to make sure you look wherever you're gonna sit. Like it becomes habit that you just are very cognizant of the fact that there are these tiny little dogs around. And you gotta just make sure. Well they for most of their lives have been very adept at paying attention so that they don't get underfoot. That's gotten a little iffy. I bet. For both of them in the past year, I would say. And so they will startle sometimes and, and sort of skedaddle and you're not, so, so now what, what we do is part of this whole time of life with them. And Abigail's actually fine. She doesn't have any chronic illness. She's, she's doing quite well. But the same thing with her in terms of perception, we just feel like, well, okay, we have to take more responsibility for their perceptual field right. and approach them carefully and you know, talk to often more than talk to them, touch them very gently if we're coming up from behind them and kind of nudge them and you know, make, just be really mindful that they, they don't see as well and they don't hear as well. They are. They do see and they do hear, but it's just not as acute. It's not as, it's, yeah, it's, it's and, good. And so, so, but for this, for the longest time, we've been living with this anticipatory loss. And as and as you say, like, I wonder what it will be like when it actually happens. I know it will be extraordinarily difficult, yeah. particularly because I have. I've always had a very special connection to Isabel. It, she's always been one of my, what I call familiars. Mm. She's always been very close to my heart. When I picked her up the first time, she was this tiny little puppy and I was like, she's the one. You knew it. She's coming up with me. <laughs> and and uh, so that's the way it is. But I also, I also know that her time, so, so if she makes it to 16, it'll be a great thing. And yeah. That, but part of it is also that we realize that our time together is more finite. We realize that with greater clarity that our time. So, so I'm, you know, I pick her when I do her, her medications, I always snuggle with her and give her a kiss on the okay. head and talk to her. And, you know, I realize that this is precious time. Exactly. And so it's, it's part of the, it's part of the experience. And one of the things I think it's important with pets is to know that our time with them is, is always has always limited. Yeah. That their lifespans are so their lifespans are so short sure. compared to our own. So that that's that's my situation right now. Now you have a situation that has erupted in just the last week or so, right? Yeah, well, yes, it's it's been a little bit ongoing. I have a um 
a probably about a 10 year old paraplegic French bulldog that I rescued. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, she's always had issues because of this disability, she was born that way. So from her waist down, she really doesn't have much of a body. Her legs don't work and she kind of rests on her knees. But so she's always had some digestive issues and some, um, you know, elimination issues. You know, she's developed a lot of polyps. She's had four or five polyps removed over the eight years we've had her probably. Um, and so, but in January, um, probably mid-January, um, I noticed that there was an, an, a potential, another polyp that was developing, you know, and, and her nether, the netherland back there. And, but it kept growing. And so I was starting to get a little, I was concerned. You know, mm -hmm. took her to uh, my vet. Um, not that they weren't attentive, but they weren't sure. Maybe another polyp. Um, took her again to more uh, an ER specialty vet, which I've been taking her to from time to time. Um, there was another little polyp removed, but after that, this th there was another part of her that, uh, and I don't know what it was. It was a doesn't seem to be a polyp. Polyps are pretty small. It just got larger and larger. Where when it became external and it was about the size of a walnut, so it was very yeah, wow. large. Um, and then that was kind of like outside of her anus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So wow. and then it and of course when she would defecate, it got worse. You know. And so I'm I'm at this time I'm trying to get an appointment with a surgeon and. I unfortunately there are just a shortage of veterinarians. I don't know what it's mm. like around the world, but here there's just such a shortage. Um, so I was calling and and where I go with the ER specialty vet, they said we can't do this. You're going to have to go to you know an animal medical center in New York or down in, in Red Bank, which is another big um, ER specialty vet, or the University of Pennsylvania. I mean they were and trying to get an appointment was also, so here I had this concern for her and yet I could, and I, I knew I couldn't get mad at the veterinarian community because I know how busy they are, you know, being involved in it. Mm -hmm. And finally, um, after a lot of phone calls and working with my vet, she got taken into to yesterday. So this was yesterday. She was also having digestive issues and she was throwing up. There was a lot going on for her. So when we got there, um, the surgeon said, give me history. And then he said, well, we're going to have to do an abdominal ultrasound because if it's spread, we need to know. So that was indicative to me that it might be cancer, obviously. Um, so we were on pins and needles waiting, you know, luckily it was clear. Um, and so that part, that hurdle was done. Um, but then she had to go through the surgery. Now, the brachiophallic breeds don't do well with anesthesia. Yeah. So that's another that's another concern. Um, she did make it. She got through it. They took out the mass. We'll know in a couple days what the biopsy says. But I've had the anxiety, right? Sure. Yeah. Sad. 
I'm have a lot of concern for her. I'm feeling guilty, although I shouldn't, because I couldn't do anything about the veterinarian world about getting her in. I mean, we did as much as we possibly could to do that, right? To get mm -hmm. her an appointment. Um, and so there was some a little bit of frustration with that. There was obviously sadness, but it was really weird that I also had this rehearsal of death thing going on. And I thought, what happens? if she dies mm -hmm. and because or what happens now if she has cancer all over her body what do we do with that you know um and so i could see myself going to the place we usually do to have the ritual uh the, the crematory ritual um and and i didn't want to go there but it, it happened right i'm anticipating that i mean first okay good she she doesn't have any any cancer in her body that's, you know, come out, you know, out of this mass. Um, but now she's got to go through the surgery. And when we got the call last night that she had made it and she was recovering and it was okay, we picked her up today just a little while ago. That's why I'm tired. So, but, you know, I, I'm now I'm not rehearsing that anymore. She may have cancer. We don't know, but at least it had spread, but it's amazing. The anticipation with that. Right. And I've been, sure this all along for months because what's going to happen? I think there's something wrong. How, how come I can't get further in, in the process of getting her in? Why aren't the why aren't the vets looking at this and saying, wow, we have to do something right away? Oh, we have to make an appointment. Well, it's going to be two months. You know, it, I mean, it, it really, and again, I'm not blaming the veterinary community at all. I know, oh, sure. yeah. I know yeah. how busy they are. Um, yeah. And they love animals and they want to help as much as possible. It was my own fear for her my own concern yeah. for her sure. um so but that's another part of this anticipatory grieving you know sure i mean that all of that planning because it gives us some sense of control yeah, right. in a situation where we're way out of control like this we have no control over this situation where somebody we care about or pet we care about is very is in a precarious state of health we don't we, there's nothing so we we try to find ways to well what if then if this then that right that's mm -hmm. what we kind of go through all all the different possibilities because it makes sense to try to be prepared i i would like you to describe how ellie gets around ellie hops she hops she hated her cart we got her. we went to sheffield massachusetts got a cart for her mm -hmm. Um, she came back and we came back and we put her in the cart and she went to the corner and put her head down. And that was that. And she gets around pretty well, right? She gets around pretty well, yeah. She kind of just pulls herself. Yeah, she just, you know, pulls herself around. I think, I mean, she's got a, an unbelievable spirit. She's a very feisty <laughs> girl. Very feisty girl. Um, so, I, so I'm not anticipating any, I'm anticipating maybe she has cancer, but maybe not. We don't know that till the biopsy, but I, I am, I'm, you love, like you said, you love Isabel, you love it. You hold them. You love them. Mm -hmm. She was up here just recently before we got on with me. Um, yep. I was just cuddling with her and, 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 and petting her and stroking her, you know, cause it's precious time. You know? Yeah. And yeah. I and I, and I also want to say this, you know, which, which comes up with this, and it's you know, it's also talking about elderly dogs or cats. Oh, know. definitely, yeah. Like yeah. I, like I said, with you know, 
we don't know when we're going to lose Abigail right. either. She's going to be 16 and, and she's in great health, but she has had health crises in the past right. year where she'll get sick and will. In fact, when I went, when I took her to the vet recently for her wellness check, they asked me how she was doing. And I had put out of my head that she had a pretty big problem last year that they treated her for, for a few weeks. And it's like, it was so out of mind that they had to remind me because she's been really great. And yeah, for good. many, many months, she's been great. So. Cause you know, I work with clients over time. Now we also can talk and then maybe this is another episode about hospice, you know, pet hospice right. has really become very popular. Um, and it's wonderful because there are veterinarians that do it. I'm affiliated with one here in, in New Jersey. And they, she does, she does hospice, she does acupuncture, and she does euthanasia. And so, and that's You know, and there are there are also doulas who oh, help nice. people whose pet is is dying. And so, I did a program. I contributed to a program at University of Vermont where they train people to be pet loss doulas. Yeah. So that's that's an option for. For some people, it depends on their availability, it depends on your ability to, to pay for such a service, but it's good to know that there are all kinds of supportive options. And certainly there's support groups, whether online, which would probably be the way you would, you would find that today during the pandemic, but absolutely. And you know, when I, when I think about the question that we started out with, and I'm not sure when this person says, I'm not sure how long and how I will know and get through this process. Like it's very, very distressing. And the thing that I think it's important to keep in mind is that you just, you just do the best you can as you, as we do with any experience of grieving. And, and we, we don't know, we really don't know how no, we, have no idea. It. we just, we just keep going. We have to keep going. You know, I work with a lot of people that are grieving not only for their animals, but for he their humans, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always talk about you see life through a different lens. You know, it could be beautifully sunny out, but you don't see it that way because either you are anticipating a death or you have been through a death and your whole world just changes. But you have to keep going on. I have a young man; he's watched his mother die. You know, so you have you have to you have to keep going. You walk. You put like you said, put one foot in front of the other. I I, I think that that there is there is one thing that you can try to do is to find ways to have moments of deep connection and celebration. Yes. So. People will do things like they will make sure that once a week they give their pet their very favorite food right. they, cook, they cook for them or something like that. Or they they take pictures with them and and make sure that they have a scrapbook or you know, they do things that are about celebrating the relationship and exactly. also helping to memorialize what this relationship means. To, to the caregiver, the guardian. There's also a life review. Well, every day, yeah. be conscious yeah. of what you've done with your animal and, and try to celebrate them and to do the things that you love. Maybe it's a special hike or right. maybe 
it's a special car ride, or maybe, you know, it's a, um, um, a visit to a, a special friend. Um, and that's really important as they, especially as they get older, because we all know that they're going to die at some point. And we all know that some of them will get very sick and, and they will have a period of time in, with an illness. And so and that's, that's when the rubber hits the road, man. When you have to really take care of that, that wonderful animal that you love so much is in need of really your caretaking at that point. Yeah. And one of, one of the things also that I think is just really important is to watch your own frustration. Mm -hmm. Because, for example, there are times when an animal who is not well won't eat. Mm -hmm. I, we've had times where Isabel won't eat and it's so unsettling and it's so worrisome. And, you know, we'll put the food in the microwave for a little bit. We'll, we'll change the food to baby food for people like chicken, baby food. We'll do all, and, and you just, we have to watch ourselves to not get frustrated with her right? and, and realize that she's doing the best she can. That's right. And if she doesn't feel like eating it's not right to vent your frustration at her. She's going through what she's going through. And so support from others is so important. Yes. Just to be able to reach out to other people and say it's been a really hard time. And, you know, one of the things I remember we used to have to do with one of our cats was once, once or twice a day we had to put water or saline under her skin. She, she was the kidneys were collapsing. Oh, sure. So we had a bag of, of saline and we had a, you know, we'd have a needle on the, we'd have to affix a needle to the end and then pinch her skin and put it in. And she didn't love that. No, I'm sure <laughs> she, she didn't. Love but she, you know, you'd hold her and talk and she would tolerate it. And, and, it, and that kept her going for a really long time. But some of these things are really, they're very much a challenge to keep with and they, re they require you to do things that you may not be comfortable at all and doing. And, and that's why somebody could come in. But it's, it's, I just, we want people to know that when you get a young dog or a cat, you get a puppy or a kitten, nobody ever thinks about the end. But, yeah, I, but yeah. I, I, and that's, and good. I mean, you obviously yeah. don't want to be morbid with it. But the issue is, is in the end, they you want to give them the best golden years that they have yeah so and, and that takes maybe a little more attention a little more energy a little more caretaking you know patience yeah patience. yeah 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 it's a uh, it's interesting what you said that they we don't think about the end and they do grow old so fast don't they i mean they yeah. grow they all of a sudden they've got They've dogs have white faces. And yeah. Their eyes begin to get a little cloudy, you know, and it's like all of a sudden. Yeah, and where did where did the time go? I I'm reminded of of a great book by a guy named Dwayne Elgin. It's called Voluntary Simplicity, and I I have mentioned this in a lot of different forums and training experiences and whatnot. But but he has a passage in his book where which is headed let death be your friend mm. 
And the idea is that as, as, as if we keep the notion of the ephemeral nature, the fact that life is really short, top of mind, we bring it to mind now and then, it really does help us to have a more fulfilling life and more fulfilling relationships. And I, I just think that's so important. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, that that so that's that's his point. And again, let death be your friend. Like don't don't deny, be, be mindful that we life is very is is very finite and very and, and the length of our lives are uncertain. And so when we when we know that a life is coming to a close, it makes a lot of sense to to just be very mindful mindful connected embracing and and at the same time respect your feelings about that and respect the pain that you have and and do what you can to take care of yourself the person who wrote this question will get through it i'm certain yeah. of that we find ways we're often surprised by how resilient we are when we have to be yes I, I agree with that. And so, so that's where I'm going to stop. Yeah, I think we, have other, we could go other uh, to other uh, traumatic and 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 uh, sudden, but you know we can leave that for another time. We can talk about it another time. And good luck to Ellie. I I'm thinking about that that zest for life that that little dog. She's she she's feisty as hell, man. Yeah. <laughs> So, so keep me posted on that. Keep I me posted will. on that this week. And I'll be thinking about you. Thank you, Ken. All right. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week.